Microphone check. One, two. CC. Hello and welcome at CC. Hello and welcome at one, two, three, four, five, six. She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. There we go. Rolling. Hello and welcome to episode six of The Documentary Life. This is a podcast that sets out to inspire and educate each and every one of us on what it means as well as how to best lead a documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and I am honored to have you join us today and excited to hopefully better help you live your own documentary life. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome aboard. It's great to have you with us. I'd also like to encourage you to go back and listen to any, if not all, of the first five shows where you'll get a good sense of what this show is about, what this idea of a documentary life is, and why I'm doing a podcast all about it. In two of the first five shows, I began my monthly conversations with documentary industry people. In the first, John Perosi discusses what it's like shooting film overseas in developing countries, and in some cases, doing the work while having one's family there. In the second monthly conversation, I had an amazingly insightful and inspiring conversation with doc filmmaker Lydia B. Smith about the importance of a grassroots campaign for your independent film. If you're a TDL subscriber and you've already listened to the first five shows, I want to say thank you for tuning in again, and I sincerely hope that by listening to this show, you're feeling in a better position to be living out your documentary dreams. And while I'm thanking people, I'd like to extend even some more personal gratitude to some individual listeners. Again, if you've been listening, you know that early on in the show, what I like to do is open up with some listener emails. And these emails generally are um, words of encouragement. They can be constructive criticism. They can be thoughts on guests that we've had on the shows. For example, an email that I recently got from a May in Rockford, Illinois. Well, May, I want to thank you for the lovely email support that you sent me last week. That means a lot to hear that this show is providing you with some helpful words of wisdom about avenues for finding music for your film. For anyone who hasn't already listened to it, May is referring to episode 4, which focused on finding music and musicians for your documentary film score. We also received an email from a doc lifer in Israel, Yosef. Hello, Yosef in Israel, by the way, who is inspired by this idea of using what you have, knowing that you will have more of what you need later on, when the time was right. In this episode, which was number two, I specifically was talking about camera choice at certain points in your development as a filmmaker. Again, I like to early on in these shows um, have, have this sort of email segment where we have this dialogue running back and forth between you and I, and then hopefully I can share that information with my listeners the next week. My email address, please email me, is at chris at barongfilms.com, and that's chris at b-a-r-a-n-g films.com. Again, I'm trying to encourage the networking, trying to encourage the dialogue, trying to encourage you to share your insight and your wisdom, because it's not me, as you know, that, that, can, that, can, that can share that. This show doesn't exist without yours and without my other guests' um, uh, knowledge and insight and suggestions and recommendations. So please, uh, again, chris at barongfilms.com is the email that you can send me. And I pledged last week that I will respond personally to each and every one of those emails, and that continues. So let's do it. Let's keep that dialogue going. And, and in particular, that last email, well, it's a really great lead into today's topic of discussion, which centers around this idea of abundance. 
in particular, filmmaking abundance or abundance in your filmmaking, specifically how it can and should be used by artists, by you guys, the documentary filmmakers of the world. Now, before I scare some of you off right from the start, thinking that this is just going to be yet another cut and paste show of some self-help guru's idea of living you know, this ideal life of abundance, or that I'm going to recite lines from the best-selling book turned movie The Secret, well, I want to stop you right there. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll confess that I have maybe read a book or two by Wayne Dyer or listened to an inspirational talk or two by world-renowned self-help guru Tony Robbins. It's also important for you to know this. I am a 44-year-old male who grew up in the East Coast, though, I'm, of course, I'm based out of Portland, Oregon now, which inherently gives me a healthy or maybe not so healthy, depending on your view, dose of, of skepticism about ideas that are maybe a little too woo-woo in nature. Or, or that I have this built-in, easily accessible BS detector. Trust me, I'm always a little too proud to be the first person to recognize a BS artist the minute he or she walks through the door. Again, East Coast. It's inherent. Talk is talk, words are cheap. Action's what matters. I totally believe that, always will. It's through hard, dedicated, unrelenting work that many of us are successful, or any of us for that matter. In my humble opinion, there is no amount of simply thinking things into existence that will ever, ever take the place of blood, sweat, and tears in order to live and lead a successful life of any kind, documentary life or not. Now that being said, I have also learned, or maybe I should even say continue to learn, that it's not simply put your head down and work, work, work your ass off that'll lead to success either. I grew up in Rochester, New York, spent a lot of time in Buffalo, New York. I know a lot of people who had families work in the blue-collar sector, including my own, my father, and they worked their asses off. They're some of the nicest, most salt-of-the-earth people I've ever met. But a lot of them are also some of the most negative, pessimistic people that I've met, who truly believe that no matter what they did or how they thought, there was no way off of the assembly line of the Eastman Kodak plant. Now, please, please, please note that I am in no way placing any judgment whatsoever on the blue-collar workers that keep our country prospering. My father, like I said, was one of them. Gave 40 plus years to Kodak. Honestly, I'll never be able to give enough gratitude for the sacrifices that both of my parents made so that me and my siblings might have better lives. But I worked alongside a lot of blue collar workers and many of them, not all, but a great number of them, were pretty unhappy people. They talked in a way that was always so negative to be around. And it certainly rubbed off on me. And I would argue on the community as a whole. The fact that these amazingly hardworking people often thought so little of themselves to the point of believing that they didn't deserve better than what they were doing has always stayed with me. I've never forgotten that. And so my long-winded point here is that it's not just working as hard as you can alone that'll lead you to the kinds of success you're looking for. I, I do believe that a healthy work ethic is an absolute must at all times, but it must also be accompanied by a healthy mindset, a positive outlook, a forward-thinking, never-look-back attitude that in conjunction with this, you know, the aforementioned diligent work, that will propel us to move forward in living out our dreams. Of course, in this case, our documentary dreams. Now, if you're still hesitating, and I totally get it, I've been there, hovering on the stop or next button, you know, on your iPhone or app, wondering if the particular episode was, was going to help me or not, let me tell you a little something about me. And let me just say that this little bit is probably more for you skeptics and pessimists out there than the others, who are probably already well on board with the power of positivity and self-belief. I am, as I mentioned earlier, skeptical by nature. I've generally, not always as you'll see, but more often than not, 
I've, I've been a glass half empty kind of guy. And I'm here to tell you firsthand that not only has it not served me, not only has it not served the people around me, that's for sure. And there's a lot of people in my life that can attest to that. But it's during these times of negative thinking that I've easily had the least amount of success in both my professional and personal life. So I'd like to give you three critical tools that I believe will help increase the overall abundance in your documentary life. And abundance, it could mean financially. It might be in help with your documentary films. It could be it could be about anything really. And not only will I explain each of these tools and how and why you should employ them in your everyday life, but in some cases, I'll tell you how in doing the opposite at various times in my life, I had a very negative effect. So without further ado, let's take a look at three critical tools that I believe will increase the abundance in your documentary life. Number one, lose the fear and scarcity thinking. Again, it's lose the fear and scarcity thinking. So what I want you to do is take words like scared or fear from your vocabulary. Now, I, like so many other people that I know, grew up in a household of fear. My mom still lives in fear. And what do I mean by that? Um, if you lived in our household, you'd always think that imminent death or loss of a limb, it, it was just one step away. Or we were one step away from financial ruin. We, we literally couldn't leave the house without mom, bless her, warning us of the perils of the cold outside. Or that if we didn't lock our car, it would be stolen. To this day, to this day every damn time I come out of a store for one brief second... I think that my car has been either towed or stolen. It's a terrible feeling, right? Sinking feeling. I mean, and this has been going on for, for most of my life. Another example, we were brought up to believe that money was scarce, that we were always running out of it, and that we should be, you know, uber, uber careful about how we spent it. And we were never, we were never taught the power of money or how one could properly use or save it. Um, it was just ingrained in us simply to fear it. It's no wonder that within a year out of college, I was in massive credit card debt that would accumulate over the next almost 20 years of my life. Till one day, a, a, a good friend of mine introduced me to financial guru Dave Ramsey. I know, so cliche. But, but I suddenly began to learn about money and sort of the emotional aspects to it and, and how I was wired thinking about it and how I needed to rewire my thinking about it. And once I went headlong into tackling my debt, I became way less afraid of it, way less afraid of it. In the production world, in, 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 or more like, or more specifically in freelance, right? In freelancing, fear will absolutely kill you. Um, anxiety will kill you. It's in the freelance world, as many of you know, it's a total different mindset from the nine to five world, right? And, and, and that was a pretty big thing for me. I was forced, I had no choice, right? But to start, I don't know, believing and trusting in, well, in, certainly myself, but also in, in the freelance world, you have to believe, you have to know and trust, right? That the next paycheck, the next gig, um, the next client was coming. It's right around the corner. It always is. 
it's 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 this constant sort of pumping yourself up, right? Positive, positive, positive. The work it's coming, the paycheck it will come. Again, it's a total different mind shift from you know many of you also who work a nine to five job. You guys, you know, you have the comfort at least certainly of of a you anticipate every every week or every two weeks you know that you have a paycheck coming. In the freelance world, it's not necessarily like that at all. Sometimes you work two days in a week and then don't work for another week, or you might work all week right on a gig or and then have like the next two weeks where you're not working and so it's this tricky sort of mindset that you have to you have to keep telling yourself that the work will come of course again you can't just think these things into existence right you're being proactive you're out there you're contacting the coordinators and the producers you're networking with people who do what you do and you're trying to you know to continue the work keep the dialogue going networking again but but you're being positive and remaining positive the entire time because if you sit home and just you know be negative on yourself waiting for the phone to ring and it's not ringing and you can't understand why that's not happening well of course that's going to have a negative effect on you early on uh PA jobs. When I first got a couple of PA jobs, it was a matter of, you know, working my working my ass off as a production assistant, doing whatever was necessary on and off the set, right? And and working my butt off and networking with people while on set um, and and impressing the coordinators and which would lead to the next job, which would lead to the next job and the next job. And the PA jobs started to stack up. And a couple of years into that, I started getting some of my first edit jobs and then more edit jobs in, in similar fashion. And then uh, I started to get one or two directing jobs or shooting, right? I was shooting a lot more and more. And so you, you can see where this is going. Now, the opposite of that, sort of what can happen when one kind of resorts to sort of negative thinking or or fear and scarcity thinking. <clears throat> I'm going to take a sip of water here. Pardon me. <clears throat> okay. Or fear and scarcity thinking, right? I'll give an example of that. Three years ago, you know, after doing for five, six, seven years, working, working super hard in the industry at both believing myself, having positive thinking, um, and and working my butt off, you know, I had I had some some negative things happen in my life, and and three years ago it started to started sort of that fear and scarcity thinking started to happen again. I started to let the fear in. Steph and I had become pregnant with our first our first boy, Flynn, and I started fearing things like money and work, and suddenly you know. I worried about when the next paycheck or the next job was coming in. And if I didn't work for a week, I started to freak out. I started to get really stressed. And I started to to worry that the money and the work wasn't coming in. And, and really, that just dragged us further and further down. You know, and, and, and when I felt I was needing it the most, I had one of my worst years financially. So here I am, you know, Steph and I, have we, we've gotten pregnant and... You know, we're building our lives together and suddenly through the course of events and through the course of negative thinking and fear, suddenly I'm having my worst year financially. Um, It definitely can accumulate that way. Thankfully, the following summer, Steph really, really was recognizing what was happening. And I was too, but it's, it's, it's almost like depression where you get to a point where you you might need you're going to need somebody you're going to need somebody else's almost like intervention if you will right someone to help guide you kind of out of that rut and of course Steph 
Bless her was that person for me. You know, she saw my negativity and saw what the fear, she saw where that was bringing all of us. And of course, it was affecting my family greatly at that point. Thankfully, her continued optimism would keep us afloat um, while I worked through this. And and through the encouragement of her, it, it finally would get better and better. But there were some key moments. Like before we left for Cambodia, we needed to raise $20,000, which we did. But this was easily the most positive and believing I'd been in a year and a half. I knew in you know, I knew and truly believed that failure, in this case, not raising the 20K via our Kickstarter campaign, failure was not an option because if we didn't raise that that month, well, we weren't going to Cambodia. And as you know, if you, if you listen to prior episodes, we had taken some pretty big risks in leaving our lives in Portland, Oregon, heading down to Long Beach, California for five, almost six weeks, and really kind of going for broke to raise the money to go to Cambodia the following month. And, you know, sure enough, through that diligence and through this really, really constant positive thinking and positive attitudes, and again, work, 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 sure enough, voila, the money came through. The Kickstarter came through. Cambodia would happen. This was by no mistake followed by my most successful year financially. I was believing in myself again and believing that the work would come, that the money would come, that uh, I had no reason to be anxious and fearful. I was believing in myself again. Of course, I was also working my ass off. But it's that combination, right? The combo was the magic. That was the special sauce. Again, lose the fear and the scarcity thinking. That's only going to drive you farther down. You know, and I've had to do it. This is not a magical thing that happens overnight, especially if you're someone, again, like myself, um, who who was brought up on the East Coast, brought up in a family with fear and scarcity thinking, um, tends to be cynical and pessimistic by nature. It definitely requires a lot of, uh, it requires some some rewiring. It definitely does. Um, and, and I'm still working on it every day. Believe me, I'm working on it every day. But the fear and scarcity thinking will never work. I promise you. I've learned it firsthand. And yeah, so that's enough on fear and scarcity thinking. Okay, on to number two of what I consider a critical tool to increase your abundance in your documentary filmmaking life. Believe that the best is yet to come. It's this idea that your best, it's not behind you. It's yet to come. Always, right? It's this mindset. It's always yet to come. Famous NFL head coach Mike Dicko once said, live in the past, you die in the past. And of course, he was ref- he was referring to sort of the game within the game, in the football game. When you made a bad play, if you sort of um, got hung up on that in your thinking, you continue to live out that, right? You continue to live that, well... You, you, you're going to make that mistake again, or you're not going to, to make a positive play the next time you're on the field. You live in the past, you die in the past. I can give you an example. After Bomb Hunters, right? The first film that I worked on in Cambodia, after working on this film, giving 12 months of my life over to this film, within days, I would say, I truly started to, started to think negatively and started to fear that where was I going to get work? At that time, I, I wasn't really, tr- I wasn't working in the film industry per se the way that I was, that I would become later on. That was my first sort of film job, but I didn't get film work after that. Um, I truly thought and started to fear it that, that I wasn't going to be able to get work and that the film, 
the, the bomb hunters and the experience that I'd had in Cambodia and then editing afterwards, I started to fear, if you can believe this, that that was the best it was going to get. Like that was the highlight of my life. It wasn't long. If you Again, if you've listened to this program, you know this about me. It wasn't long after that when I started to spiral into depression. You know, I, I ended up going financially into a position where I was forced back into the service industry job that I thought I'd left behind me, that I hated. And I was miserable. You know, that would then, you know, not that long after that, that would lead me to, to lead the States on a journey um, throughout Southeast Asia of what I thought was maybe finding myself. But really, it was probably just running for myself, right? So when I did get back, you know, penny, penniless, jobless, homeless, I got back and truly had to start all over. But there's a really magical part to that, right? I'd hit rock bottom and the only way back from there was up. And I knew that the I had to really put the negative thinking behind me and I had to be more positive about my life and my thinking. I, I couldn't go any farther down. I, I At least at the time, I didn't think I could. And once I put my mind and heart and work to it, I started to string a few PA jobs together, right? And that got me finally, for the first time in my life, that got me really into the film and TV industry mix. Um, I would start to financially kind of pull out of where I was. Um, professionally, I was doing what I'd always loved doing. And yet, there was more to come. Absolutely, there was more to come. The best was yet to come. Journey to Kathmandu, my first documentary film, a film that would send me to Nepal. That, that, that film never would have happened without belief. And, and certainly it never would have happened more specifically here if I had believed that, the pet, that, that, my, that my best was behind me, that the best wasn't yet to come, that Bomb Hunters was it, right? That experience in Cambodia was it. Journey to Kathmandu in Nepal never would have happened. And even with that film, right? Even doing my first documentary film, producing, directing, editing, shooting, after that experience, there was still more to come, right? I started editing more in the industry. And then I started shooting and shooting and, and got a few directing jobs. Um, I started Barong Films, right? And, 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 and you, get what I, you get where I'm going here. Yes, this idea of always believing that the best is yet to come. I can give you an even better example and one that's, that's dear to me. And it's, it's, it's more heartwarming even, if you will. Um, or inspirational. My sister, Jilly, most known by most in most circles as Jillian Parkhurst, she may be the, probably the biggest inspiration in my life, period. Jilly worked in education for years, uh, mostly as a teacher, but also in admin, but in particular as a teacher. And I, I'm not kidding you. I've never, and of course, everybody says this about their own family, but honestly, anybody that's ever known um, or had Jilly in their life or been touched by her, they know that they've never seen a teacher inspire people in the way that she had. I mean, we're not just talking kids. Yes, of course, massive amounts of kids were inspired by her, but the communities and families loved her. I mean, Hollywood movies were made about teachers like Jilly. She was a major part of teams that were brought in to turn bad schools around, right? And she loved her work and she did it unceasingly. And she, you know, 12 to 15 hours often because schools didn't have money, you know, she was putting out her own money 
um, to for school supplies even for the kids. Um, she was a music teacher. I should add that she was a music teacher. But one day she couldn't do this work anymore. She'd become super super tired. Intestinal and bowel complications began happening on a regular basis. She would have these sort of monthly massive flare-ups and she'd send me pictures and she'd look like a punching bag. She'd be sick in bed for, you know, 10 days in a row at a time and literally not be able to get out of her bed. She had to leave her profession that she loved more than just about anything. Teaching was her everything. And now she, she was forced to leave due to these health reasons. Jilly's had this particular illness or condition for four, going on four years now. No one's been able to accurately diagnose it. Tens of thousands of dollars she and her husband have spent on the top medical practitioners throughout the country. It's been diagnosed at various times as Lyme's disease, Crohn's disease, uh, Schnitzler syndrome, vasculitis, um, a type of autoimmune disorder, FMS, etc. You name it. I mean, they just don't know what she has. And she still lives with this, whatever this is, today. Every day. But somehow, she's moving forward with it. She believes that the best is yet to come. Through all of this, somehow, she remains positive. And, and I, I honestly, I don't, I, I, I don't get it. I, I try to rewire myself. And I've been doing this for a while to be a more positive thinking person. But it's not even close to what she has gone through. When, when health, when you're, you're dealing with health conditions like this, to remain positive through that is something that I just, I'm in awe of. You know, she doesn't believe that the best is yet to come. She actually refuses to believe that the best is behind her, if that makes sense. So now, today, she's at a point where her interest in herself and her body and her condition has empowered her over the years to learn about, among other things, about nutrition and the part that nutrition plays in in a person's well-being, the body and mind's functionality that's all connected to it. She's learned about diet and the importance that it plays on a cellular on a cellular level in our everyday life, which you know that blows me away. She's since become fully certified in culinary nutrition and has, has just begun her business, which is called Fresh Things First. Look it up, freshthingsfirst.com. I hope she has that website up now. Maybe she doesn't yet. You'll have to check it out. Where where she hopes to empower and educate the world around her to the things that she's learned over the past few years about food and nutrition and how, how it's all intertwined and connected infinitely to a person's health. Again, Jillian does not believe that her best days are behind her. If she had... She never would have transformed her life the way in which she has. Her story is probably more inspirational than anything else that I will share with you today or anything else that I'll probably share with you on a personal level from here on out. And so I, I really wanted to share that with you. Again, the idea is believing that the best is yet to come. Now, the third and final tool that I'd like to give you is about sharing the abundance with others even your competitors. About a month ago, I was unable to take on a client for Burong Films. It was a smaller corporate job, but it was fairly lucrative, and I wanted to have this company as a future client. But the truth and reality was 
no matter what I did, the timing was off and there was no way I could schedule it. There was just no way we could take it on. So what did I do? I passed this job. I passed this client on to one of our competitors. Sure, the company were friends of ours, but nonetheless, they were a video production company that did similar work to our own. You might think that's crazy. You might say, Chris, why on earth would you do that? That's, that's, your, that's your competitor. Why would you give work to a competitor? It doesn't, one doesn't naturally do that sort of thing, right? It doesn't feel like the natural thing to do. But I refuse to believe that there's only so much work or so many clients to be had so that we should, you know, hoard as much of it as we can. Instead, right? Instead, I choose to believe in the abundance of our filmmaking universe, as hokey as that sounds, and that there is plenty of the work to be had. And that, you know, what we give, right? What we give, we will will come back to us someday, right? By sharing the work with others, I'm intentionally telling my colleagues and my competitors that there's plenty of work for all of us and that I am not afraid that there isn't or that there won't be. As a freelancer, a lot of us depend on this sort of thing. We depend on referrals. My good friend and colleague, local Portland DP director, also a documentary filmmaker, Brian Kimmel, recently passed a Nike shoot on to me because he was previously engaged on another engagement. Now, Brian, of course, didn't have to do this. He actually could have shifted his plans from what I understand. He could have shifted them a bit and, and, and taken on that work. Or, of course, he could have passed the work on to someone else. But, but Brian knows and trusts that the work is coming. It always does. I mentioned this earlier, right? And obviously, it helps that Brian knows that I will and have returned the favor. I've passed work on to him. You know, just this past month alone, personally, I've either given away work or not been able to accept work because I'd already been booked on a, on a prior job. I had to pass on a nine-day shoot in Rwanda because I was previously booked on a shoot here in the U.S. I've been passed over for someone else. Just this week, I was informed that a company that I'd worked for in the past who had decided to go with another director this time out instead of me. Um, I've also not accepted jobs. I'm more careful about the types of jobs or gigs that I do. This happened with seven jobs, probably totaling about $20,000 just this past month alone. That's never happened like this before in such a short span of time. And sure, Steph and I could use the money right now, but I truly believe from experience in working this way for a decade now that the next job, the next client, the next paycheck it's right around the corner. I've learned, and sometimes this Steph would probably tell you, I'm still learning, the work is always coming. To trust that the universe is putting together the next gig for me as I write this. Heck, there could be an email in my inbox right now for a job in China. Believe me, it does happen. The documentary industry itself, it's about and should be about sharing information, contacts, recommends, you know, that's what this show was founded on, sharing the information so as to inspire, educate, empower. We as documentary filmmakers, we need this, right? We thrive on it. We live on it. We depend upon it. The support and network that we built here with one another, that's what enables success for all of us later on. So again, I've detailed what I believe are three critical tools that will help increase the abundance in your filmmaking life. Again, number one was lose the fear and scarcity thinking. Two, 
Believe that the best is yet to come. And finally, three, share the abundance with others, even your competitors. All right, that's about all I've got for this week's episode. Something that I'll throw out there again, please email me. You might have some thoughts on today's topic. I would love to hear and then to share with our listeners some of your inspiring stories, some of your struggles. Talk to us about that. And, um, you know, let me know what you thought about this idea of what can help procure more abundance in your filmmaking life. I'll bet that there, that you guys have some ideas of your own and I would love to hear it. And if I would love to hear it, I know that the majority of us would love to hear it. And again, it's through that, that unique sharing of ideas and thoughts that's really gonna help all of us. Please do it. Let's network and build this together as always. Email me at chris at barongfilms.com. That's chris at B-A-R-A-N-G films.com. I want to thank you again for listening to The Documentary Life. We're six shows in and it's feeling good. It's feeling like the right thing. I'm proud of the work that I've done so far. Um, I'm really loving the emails and the response that I'm getting from you guys. I, I can't encourage enough of that. Go to the documentarylife.com website if you haven't already. Download the rest of the episodes. You can also go to iTunes and search for The Documentary Life. That also helps us there because if you go there and download, you increase the traffic, right? You increase the, the sort of visibility for The Documentary Life and that helps helps me. Um, and I, I've ended shows recently kind of asking for your help there and I'll do it again. I, and I know any podcast that you listen to does the same thing, but you know, we kind of, there's a reason that we're asking for you to go to iTunes, give us a five-star review and to leave a review. Those things are important because they truly do help us get more eyeballs and maybe more appropriately ears to our show. And, and to this show in particular, I can't stress enough, it's early on, so I want to get the message out to as many people as we can. And you should too, because if we do that, it it, it, it increases this networking possibilities and capabilities and potential that we have. And through that, the more people that we have listening, the more interaction and dialogue that's happening, the better that we can all benefit. So again, please go to iTunes and give this show a five-star review, as well as write some some words there yourself. That would be that would go a long way in helping us. Thank you. I'd like to remind you the next episode will be up in two weeks from today. And if you haven't subscribed already, you can do that at the website or you can do that at iTunes and you'll be notified. And that's about it. Thanks again for listening to The Documentary Life. And I hope that today and previous episodes and certainly future episodes will help you be able to best lead and live your own documentary life. Until next time, I remain your host, Chris G. Parkhurst. Have a great one.